Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Show Me How Good It Gets. I'm your host, Malvika. Hello, everyone. Welcome to part two of my conversation with the one, the only, Alyssa Bassist. She is, once again, the author of Hysterical, which is a memoir about shame and silence and losing your voice and then finding it again. It's about love and loss and ultimately womanhood, which is my favorite kind of book to read. I hope you enjoy the second half of the conversation as much as I did. And once again, shoot me a DM if something resonates extra or you want me to chat about something a little more. I love to gab. That's why I have a podcast. So never feel scared to just send me a message. I really, really enjoy responding. Okay, let's get back into it. One of my favorite chapters in the book was why I didn't say no. And it deals again with this idea of shame we're talking about. And you say, among millions of sex studies, a few about female pleasure address altruistic deceit, unearthing that woman feigns satisfaction or absence of pain to satisfy men, that the impulse to please is more overwhelming than to be pleased or pain-free. How do we stop? How do we rewire our brains to put our own pleasure first? I'm not saying anyone has figured this out, but how do we start that process, right? Of I deserve good things. I deserve pleasure. I deserve happiness. I deserve to feel good in my own skin. Where does that journey come from? Something I have to remind myself constantly is that I'm a person too. So my instinct is um, never to be rude to someone else, to never hurt someone else's feelings, to make someone else feel good. And that's denying that I'm a person in that dynamic as well. And I'm like, I'm just always saying to myself, I'm a person too, because a lot of times me not being rude or me catering to someone else is me sacrificing something for me, sacrificing myself in some way. I'm sacrificing some need I have some desire I have in order to please another person. And I see it a lot with my dog, who is a very fearful rescue dog. And dogs are always coming up to him. They're obsessed with him, um, but he doesn't want anything to do with them. And um, I have to advocate on his behalf, which means I have to be rude to other dogs and to their owners. Rude by saying like, call your dog, like get your dog away from my dog. And I, I hate that, but then, but it's like, no, I have to protect my dog. No one's going to protect him, but me. And, and I don't want to be rude to him. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) it's just something I always have to remember until it becomes a default, like telling men no is so important for me. Yeah. It's almost like your dog could be in a metaphor for your heart in that story. I have to protect this. I'm the only one who will. I feel that about even like going into doctor's offices, advocating for your own health, your body in whatever way that is, no one else is doing it for you. And I wish people were, I wish there was legislation in place. I wish there were all these regulations, but there's often not. And you talk about that too, how we kind of have to do it for ourselves. 
we have to do it for ourselves. And I think we have to risk being rude. Yeah. And it's not necessarily rude. We've just decided that it's rude or other people have decided we're rude when we say no, or when we're not effusive. I think rude is terribly defined um, and terribly like interpreted. And one of my biggest lessons in OCD therapy that has been the most liberating is risk, risk being unlikable, risk causing trouble, risk being rude, risk standing up for yourself, risk getting in the fight. Um, A lot of times those worst case scenarios won't happen. Mm -hmm. It's just my fear system telling me that they're inevitable. Yeah. And through practice and a lot of self-hype, more and more I can be rude, which again, it's not rude. (laughs) It's not rude to advocate for yourself. It's not rude to stand up for yourself. It's not rude to protect yourself. We've just been duped into thinking that it's rude. So that will always be nice, compliant sweethearts. And again, that's patriarchal propaganda. So I have to remind myself of that. And I think it's always going to be a practice because still my default is to not be rude and to cower, cave, be compliant. And I have to just like keep, keep coming back to like, I, and I like mess up a lot. Like I will, um, you know, let men walk all over me, steamroll me, whether they're boyfriends, strangers, my handyman. (laughs) Um, I, I just, I have to keep coming back to no, or fill in the blank, whatever I need in that moment and telling myself, it's not only okay to say this, it's a risk to say it. And I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. I love that. My friend's therapist tells her something about romantic relationships in particular, but I think this can be applied across the board. It's a little shakier if you have anxiety, but he says, um, full body. Yes. If your full body doesn't say, yes, I want this, you know, whether that's sexual or anything, if your full body is not like, yes, I want to go to this party. I want to be driven home by this person, whatever it is. If you have even like a 10% doubt in you, you got to trust that gut because your people pleasing tendencies might be taking over often. So I love that phrase full body. Yes. I now say it to myself, like a mantra in my head. Oh, I love that. I'm stealing that too. That's yeah, so good. Absolutely. It's stolen. It's not even mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Which I, I think it's nice to have these little mantras you can tell yourself, like no is a complete sentence, right? Because it's so scary actually to quote unquote reject people and things. You, you feel like you're being mean, right? And no one wants to be mean. So. Right. And I also like, there's also the problem of, I don't know what I want. Like if, if I got to that point where I can articulate it, what in the world do I articulate? Like I haven't had the room I have felt in my life to experiment and to feel safe experimenting and exploring and figuring it out. I don't know. So my next book will probably be figuring out, figuring that out. Like it's, it's a, it's the inquiry of a lifetime to figure out what it is I personally want once I've like deconditioned myself from wanting what everyone else wants. Yeah. It's a lot of white noise that you got to kind of tune out to figure out what you want. 
what do you want in your heart and your soul? What makes you feel really good? Which is, I think, why I love this concept so much. Like your full body saying yes. Because you have that, you know, your best friend wants to take you out somewhere or do something. You're like, oh, yes, I want this. We often compromise and it's new people and new experiences. And again, like I get social anxiety. I know this isn't always the case, but I think it's a helpful tool to have when you're analyzing situations. It is. And I feel like it's what so many disciplines tell us. Like mindfulness tells us to be in the present moment. And I had a therapist who was always trying to get me to tune into what I felt as opposed to what I thought, because my body has its own intelligence. It's just, I have learned to ignore it. And you're so right about the white noise and learning to tune that out and to tune into yourself. My yoga instructor, instead of saying like, check this out, would always say like, check this in. And I know more than I consciously know that I know. And my body knows. And if I can just get quiet, get present, my body's going to tell me yes, no, to the left, to the right. Like, and I think like, that's really the work is to learn how to listen to yourself. Absolutely. And I think for people who can't trust their gut or their intuition for whatever reason, whether it's anxiety or OCD or anything like that, a great thing is to check in with your value system. Mm -hmm. If you have a strong internal value system that can do a lot of the same work as trusting your gut, right? Where you know what you want as a person. Uh, I could talk about this forever. I think it's, it's hard to kind of tap into that place. And I thought about that so much while I was reading this. I will say that you've had a lot of different relationships that you talk about in this book, right? And (laughs) you make a face when I say that. It gave me a lot of insight into dating as a, you know, 20 something year old. What would be out of all of maybe the dating advice you've heard and the relationships you've gone through, what are your best pieces of advice for young people dating? Like before I want to get into a relationship again, I just am like, I need to be sturdy in myself and to have a life routine because I get so sucked in to the other person and like being attuned to the other person and um, sacrificing whatever I have to sacrifice for the other person, like my time, my attention, my wants, needs, my schedule, all of that. <laughs> everything, yeah. Every, like, literally everything. Um, so just like developing um, a routine for myself that I'm like, this is what I need. Then I feel like I can be a stronger person in a relationship and having a strong sense of self has been so important for me to figure out and practice because I am so used to losing myself with another person. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's also like, you hear this a lot. You hear like, oh, you have to be single for a little bit before you date. And I think that's hard to hear when you really want a partner. Right. But something that helped me reframe that is once you get really comfortable and happy alone, you love your schedule, you love what you're doing. You kind of raise the bar for what you want out of a partner. They have to make you better. They have to make your schedule better. You have to enjoy spending time with them. It's not just avoid your filling but you love being with them specifically. And I think that makes relationships. And- 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. General more magical because then you're not settling. This person is actually meeting those higher standards. Yeah. And it's so easy today to have the lowest bar. Yeah. Remember, like, like I really wanted someone to have read infinite just at least once. <laughs> That's what like my criteria used to be. And now it's just like, be a person. And I want to get back to having a higher bar for people. <laughs> um, and I feel like, like the women I encounter, they are all so incredible. And then the men are just like Peter Pans. And, and I'm like, I mean, like, I'm okay with having patience. I used to feel really impatient about dating. Like, um, I don't want to like miss the boat. All the good ones are taken. I don't want to like waste my youth, waste my body, like all this stuff. And now time feels rather irrelevant to me where I'm like, life is long. I may find the perfect partner for me at 60. Like that may be my sexual prime. And I'm okay with that. Like I have a lot of life to live. Yeah. You're not going to be late for your own life. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. And my body is going to be my body, whatever my body is going to be. And the right person is going to like that body. And I just like kind of quit being so concerned about it. I think that's also just like a product of time. Like I don't, I like, I wish I were this Zen 10 years ago. I definitely like wasn't. And whenever I do have a crush on someone, I forget everything I know to be true. (laughs) Like get into such a tizzy. Um, but yeah, I think like there's, there's going to be a lot of life to have a lot of different relationships and I'm not gonna be in one just to be in one. And I'm going to wait around for one that's right for me because I've settled and squashed a lot of what I needed in order to just be partnered. And I am a lot lonelier with the wrong person than I am with no person. Oh my God, same. And I, and that's a really evil kind of loneliness. It eats away at your self-esteem. And I think to be in a relationship when you're not seen is so much, or just not respected is so much lonelier and more soul sucking than being alone. Because when you're alone, you, you know, you enjoy your own company, you know, what you like, you can listen to the same song 13 times in a row. It's nice. It's comfortable. But being with the wrong person is earth shatteringly down. It really is. It really is. And I, 
I'm like excited about what's happening in the culture, like with me too. And I'm like, I think heterosexual straight white cis men, they're like um, catching up. Like, I feel like there's like a cultural catch up that's happening. There's also like people are going in the like way wrong direction. But I think there are some people who are like more accepting of the crazy psycho bitch as not being a crazy psycho bitch and just being someone who experiences normal human emotions. And now that we're having like a greater awareness of who a woman is and not pathologizing or stigmatizing that as much has been really good for dating. Um, So I'm excited to see more of these men catching up and doing the work. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like leading a more feminist life. I think we need a two pronged approach, right? The first thing is the bar for crazy needs to be raised, like way raised. I don't think a girl wanting a monogamous relationship is crazy, right? Like, so that needs to be skyrocketed up, which will make it easier for women everywhere. So that's my, that's my personal mission. And then the second half of it is, yeah, I think men are coming around too. I mean, I have so many male friends who love loud, outspoken women, confident, smart, ambitious women. And I think it's one thing to say that and put into practice, but I see them putting it into practice and it's inspiring to know that there, there is something for me out there. You know, that's always, it's nice to see that because for a long time it was like, oh, men don't like loud women, you know, (laughs) and I won't shut up. So I, it would be bad if I was with a partner who wanted me to be, like you say in the book, silent and submissive because we wouldn't work, (laughs) you know, and I, I don't want that. They wouldn't want that. No one would be happy. But for every one of us, there is, you know, a counterpart just waiting to be found. Yeah. And a big part of like me wanting to write the book was reaching men, even though they are not my target audience. Um, And a lot of them do want to murder me, but there have been some who have written me emails who have said like, I had no idea. I was not listening, not communicating. And now I'm going to work harder. And I think I've gotten maybe like five emails, but that That is amazing. Yes. (laughs) Truly amazing. And I'm like, I think these, these dudes can be reached. And um, I think a lot of them just like aren't aware of it because their entire world worldview caters to the fact that they are never wrong everything that is to be known, they know. And so there's like a lot of waking up they're doing. And it's really hard to hear that you're not the center of the universe. As an only child, that was a really hard wake up call for me personally. Same Um, only child reporting, uh, reporting for duty. Um, So I get it. It's really hard to hear. Um, As a white person, it's really hard for me to hear a lot of the internalized racism I have. It's hard. But once you get past it being difficult, you can really wake up to um, your bad habits, how you're perpetuating hurt of others. Um, And I do hope that like dudes will read this book and have a greater tolerance for women who want to be monogamous and thinking that that's not a sickness or or being evil. I mean, it just isn't. And I think there are people out there and I, I, it's been really nice to have my own friends be so stand up in that way. Um, 
a while ago, I posted a TikTok about how bad birth control is for women and how there's just not enough funnel funding pushed into it. As I know, you know, Invisible Women, you said in the book. Um, and I posted this TikTok kind of saying, you know, it's hard for women in healthcare spaces and to get the medicines and the research we deserve. And two of my straight white male cis friends actually went and listened to interviews of that author who wrote the book to talk to me about it. So sweet. And to like talk to their girlfriends about it. And I just... I heard that and my eyes welled up because I, I, it, they weren't even the target audience. I wasn't making it for them. And the fact that they went out of their way to educate themselves on it. So sweet. One of my friends is ADHD. And so her boyfriend bought the book driven to distraction to better understand her brain. So sweet. Right. Like I have some of my male friends listen to the podcast episodes about being a woman and you know what it's like. And then they write to me about it or they send me voice notes. And I, it's so nice that they can raise the bar for me in terms of what I expect from a male partner, because I think also a lot of time we almost don't hold them accountable to what they can be because it's like, ah, guys are just like that, but that's just not true. There's a lot of really good ones out there. Um, I can speak from that because I know them and I love them. And so, yeah, fingers crossed for both of us one day. One day. <laughs> I love what you're saying about holding men accountable. I don't think I've ever done that. And <laughs> listening to you like talk about these good men and saying they're so sweet. I wonder, like, I love that, but I also wonder how soon we are to getting to like, that's just normal behavior. You know, like yeah, how, how we- great would it be if I wasn't on here being like, Oh my God, you hear about this really nice thing he did. He like saw his girlfriend and wanted to understand her. I understand what I'm doing. I understand that. <laughs> right. I know. And it's like, what if you, we were just like, Oh, he, my friend just did this totally normal thing of like learning about his girlfriend's medical needs. Yeah. I just realized how bare minimum I'm just like putting them on such a pedestal. I get that. It's hard. I'm, I'm getting no, it's so hard. I'm just like these five men who emailed me are heroes among men. <laughs> they deserve, they deserve all minimum. good things. Yeah. I have seen that on the internet so much. Um, a woman will write like a PhD thesis and do years of research on how to make better legislation for women. And then a man will be like, I think I'm a feminist. And everyone is like panty dropping, like, uh, this is the biggest, <laughs> biggest news. Like you'll, you'll see comments like, oh my God, he's my dream man. Like maybe we should just all raise the bar a little. I don't know. I wish we all could. I, maybe like, that's what we need to do. We all just yeah. collect, we need to have like Alyssa Strada, but for standards. Yeah, maybe, maybe that would help us all. I mean, Harry Styles painted his nails and everyone was like, this is it, guys. This <laughs> is breaking gender norms across the board. So yeah, higher yeah. standards for sure. A straight man wears a dress and we're all just like, we did it. We did it as a society and that is my dream man. And yeah, it's frustrating. I don't think there's any perfect way, but that that leads me perfectly to my last question for you, which I had written down, but... It's also great. I know it's a good interview when I don't have to look at my notes because I am just having so much fun talking. And I've, I've had to glance at my notes for literally just the quote, which is really heartening. I just love talking to you, but ditto. there's a lot of, thank you. There's a lot of chapters in this book, which tackle really different parts of not just being a woman, but being human, right? About trauma and relationships and writing what was your, what was the hardest try and what was your favorite? I know I already have a personal favorite, but I'm wondering for you, maybe it's like children and you don't really have a favorite, but you secretly have a favorite and you don't want to say it, but maybe you have one that like deeply resonated with you or the research was just so exciting when you were doing it. A favorite chapter? Yeah. 
I think it is STFU. Okay. I love that one. I love all of them. (laughs) That one I loved because I really felt like I was in my power when I was writing it. And I had the most authority and the most. For the listeners, can you give it like a little quick spiel on all the chapters? So that chapter um, is about the mechanisms of silencing that um, big and small that affect women in everyday life. And um, it's about what I have termed the language machine, which has turned language against marginalized populations so that they're always committing evil and the ones who are actually committing evil are always off the hook. Mm-hmm. And it's about um, all of the external, internal, explicit, implicit forces that silence us from writing an opinion piece to articulating an opinion. And um, I go through all the different ways I've been silenced in writing that I internalized. And um, I just found like a bunch of metaphors in that chapter, like the language machine and the rape culture iceberg that helped me see how entrenched the problem is that um, it's not just me and my MFA program writing about my sexual assault and a classmate telling me I needed to call my my sexual assault something different like caffeine-free rape or diet rape or I can't believe it's not rape like this like mo- this this moment of like it was so egregiously bad yeah what he said to me and he wasn't even a bad guy he wasn't like an incel who wanted me dead he was just a clueless dude he almost felt like he was giving you the facts yes and he thought he was helping me as a lot of men think they are um and he thought he was being funny as a lot of men think they are um (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah the director of my writing program thought I should just talk to him myself and no action was taken and then I wrote about it and on the cut and trolls came for me and this was at a time where like the comment section had just become a thing. So oh it was really unexpected. And people love calling you a crazy liberal feminist snowflake. Like people love it. Oh yeah. And they love to threaten violence. And I had never seen it before. I was used to blogging online f- for literary magazines where the comment section was the compliment section. So I was no. shocked, <laughs> shocked that so many people were so angry at me. And, um, and which in turn made me so devastated and kept me quiet for so long until I was able to see these invisible forces at work. Um, and just like really getting to the heart of those forces that women experience 24 seven, it is in the water supply. It is the air we breathe. And being able to articulate it and to just get really down into the nitty gritty 
was so fun. <laughs> and it, and it felt like I really knew what I was talking about, which is a rare feeling for me as a writer because of all those external voices telling me, no, I don't. But I, I really felt confident in the writing of, of that chapter. A lot right. of the book yeah. ended up revolving around that. Like, I think like the idea of the book really crystallized with that chapter. I think that one also resonated with me so much. I went to a all girls social justice high school. And so we were always labeled the, you know, crazy feminist snowflakes. And it gives you more ease to be silent sometimes. And so to have that recognized on paper and acknowledged was so powerful. So thank you. Um, I want to, I want to leave you with my show is called show me how good it gets. And it's this idea of abundance in our future. So what do you want out of your own life, out of your writing career, out of your identity as a woman, out of your relationships in the next like five years? What do you want for yourself? I love springing this on people because they look so terrified for the first couple of seconds. They're like, I have no idea. But I think that's the power of it. I think actually in- intention setting out loud, goal setting out loud can be so powerful. Yeah, you just asking me that question gave me goosebumps and just like made me feel full of every feeling, the idea of abundance and that there can just be more, more, more. I have this planner that my mom bought me from anthropology and it has a saying on it. And I really don't like sayings on my things, (laughs) but this saying is the best is yet to come on a planner. So clever. And, um, she gave it to me years before I got my book deal, adopted my dog, moved into an apartment in Brooklyn that has a staircase. Ooh. Right. So I'm like, this planner manifested my future. And I, now I feel like it's my mantra. The best is yet to come. So in the next five years, I just see more good stuff. I'm going to write more. I'm going to write better. I'm going to get more like-minded people attracted to my writing like you more podcasts. I hope in my future, uh, more men waking up and wanting to go down on me (laughs) more rescue dogs. Um, yeah, I just see it getting better. Even as the world descends into darkness and everything (laughs) is objectively getting so much worse. I see the backlash to the backlash where at least on a personal level, we're working harder to be better to each other and to ourselves and to affecting change like that. So I have optimism. I have optimism too. I, the next time you write a book, I want you back on the show. Um, I'm just so excited to see where all this goes. And the book isn't even out yet, right? Like I pre-ordered it. I mean, I don't even have my hands on the real thing. The best is so yet to come. People are going to love it. This is one last push for the listeners. Get this book. Like you're going to devour it. It's also, I love the cover, by the way. I didn't even tell you that. It's a great cover. It's a great name. It's going to look so pretty on my bookshelf. So if that's not incentive enough for people, I don't know what is. It's a very pretty book and you can make it into a Halloween mask. I've seen a lot of people take photos with it covering their face. So it looks like they're the hysterical, crazy psycho bitch. And I hope that becomes a thing. Okay. I love that. I'm going to do that too. Now that you've told me and one day I'm going to meet you in person and get it signed. So that's my, that's my show me how good it gets. My goal. 
I can't wait to come back to your next worldwide syndicated talk show with my second book and for us to talk about all of the new things we have thought and felt and achieved. Oh my God. Okay. So that's our big manifestation. Second book, big talk show. Okay. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for coming on. I love you. Thank you so much for inviting me, for finding me, for making this happen. I love you. Thank you for talking to me. I genuinely love this conversation. Me too. And I'm such a fan of you on TikTok. Oh my God. It was like to be interviewed by someone so famous to me. (laughs) And thank you for making my first podcast, my favorite podcast. Oh my God. I, I, you know, I'm glad I'm your first because now you can't compare me to anyone else. It's exciting for me. (laughs) Thank you so much for being so great. Tracy told me that you would be so great. And Tracy is always right. (laughs) I, yeah, my best friend's always right too. So (laughs) (laughs) I love our best friends. And that's a wrap. Thank you guys for hanging out with me and listening to this week's episode. If you want more, follow at Show Me How Good It Gets podcast. I read all the DMs I get on there. And then my personal Instagram account is at Malvika Bot, and my TikTok is at Maltalks. If you're listening on Spotify, please leave us a rating, preferably a five star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, um, I hope you can write us a fun little review and write us there as well. Um, Once again, thank you guys for hanging out. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.